That's not a creative intro either. I was just a little worried that was going to come off. Hey, a happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers. You rock. Our life would not work in this world, obviously, without mothers, because there would be no life without mothers. But life wouldn't work for most of our households and families without mothers either. So it's been very special to honour you today. I want to talk about a mother this morning. Uh, Her name was Frida McCulloch, and that name may not mean anything to virtually anyone in this room. Um, She was actually a very ordinary woman. Uh, She did not actually even have a career to speak of. She didn't do anything that was notable, uh, really, in her life. Um, As far as I know, her name was never reported in a newspaper or over radio or television. No one made a huge deal of her life. Uh, When she passed away, her funeral was a reasonable size, but nothing major at all. And if you look at her life from the perspective of the world, you would say that uh, Frida McCulloch was an insignificant nobody. Her life, in terms of the way that we measure success and impact in our world today, uh, really didn't amount to that much at all. Except that Frida was a woman of faith. And Frida passed her faith on to her kids and made an impact within her home. And that made her, in the eyes of the kingdom of God, not an insignificant nobody, but a significant somebody. She was the mother of a number of kids, um, but one of those kids in particular was really and will be eternally grateful for her impact. He was outside as a little boy playing a game of cowboys and Indians. And uh, he came around the corner of his house and, you're dead. And so, of course, according to the rules of cowboys and Indians that have existed for many decades now, uh, he had to fall to the ground dead and count to ten before he could be resurrected back to life and continue the game of cowboys and Indians. And as he lay on the ground, this little kid... Uh, actually started to think about some of the lessons that his mum and dad had told him and that he'd learned at Sunday school about, about what happens when you die and about heaven and about hell. And as he lay there dead in this game of cowboys and Indians, he began to think about what would happen if this was real. And he really did die. And when he counted to 10, he got up and instead of joining the game and again, he actually went inside and found his mum Frida who was actually ironing some clothes at the time. And he went in and asked her about that and she pushed the clothes to the side and put the iron in a safe place somewhere and lifted her little boy up on the ironing board and had a conversation with him about what it means to trust in Jesus. And she led that little boy to faith in Christ. That's significance. That's what life is really all about. And that's very special to me because as you might have guessed, Frida McCulloch was my grandmother. She married Caleb Carr in the 1930s and uh, set up a home with him as Frida Carr, had eight children, seven boys. 
all in a row. And then a little girl at the end. And the third boy is my father. And he was the little boy sitting on an iron board being led to faith by my grandma. She's in heaven now and no one knows her name. Hasn't made an impact in this world. There's no statue erected for her. There's no awards in her name at her school. She didn't do anything that the world says was significant. But she was a mum. And her life had eternal significance in the lives of her kids and her grandkids and her great-grandkids because she loved Jesus and she passed that faith on. We're in this series through this year, this theme we're pursuing is love right where you are. And we've looked at that from the perspective of the book of Jonah and been challenged that sometimes we don't want to love right where we are and had the challenge of Jonah that I am Jonah and what that means. And we've done this topical series for the past five weeks praying that God would help us love right where we are and open our eyes and open our hearts and open our schedules and open our ears and open our mouths so that we would become more bold at at just explaining to people what our faith means and, and loving wherever God has placed us. And next week, we're going to kick off our next uh, key series for this year in, in the book of First Peter. I think First Peter in the New Testament is possibly one of the most practical books in the entire Bible, explaining how we're meant to love right where we are, what it looks like to live this kind of loving life in the midst of a world that actually may not even want us in it, um, but still we're to love right where God's placed us amidst all of those challenges, and that's what we're going to look at starting next week in First Peter. Today, though, I just want to do a special one-off. And in particular today, I want to speak to the mums and the dads. I want to speak to those of you who are parents, and I want us to think together about what it specifically looks like to love right where we are at home, and what it means to be parents who are ambitious to pass on our faith. For those of you who are not mums and dads, you're not off the hook though. Because while I want to direct my comments primarily to the parents, I actually want to widen it to every person who has influence over kids. And whether you do that wearing uh, the wonderful title of grandparent, God bless you, those of you who are grandparents. Uh, whether you do that as an uncle or auntie to other kids, whether you do that as a teenager who volunteers in our Botany Kids ministry, whether you do that as a career teacher, uh, whatever hats you wear and have influence over kids, I, I want you to listen as well and have ears for what, what God may be saying to you. But I want to primarily direct my comments today to parents. And I want us to think about what it means to love right where we are as a mum and as a dad with a particular group of people that he has given us that we call our children. And to do that, I want to look at one of the most important passages of the Bible, actually, um, on what it means to be a parent. And it's found in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, which is the fifth book uh, of the Bible. So if you've got a Bible with you, paper, phone, iPad, whatever, if you could turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
And I want to look at this foundational passage and just think for a few minutes about what it means to love right where we are at home, what it looks like to love our kids and to pass on our faith to them, which is the most loving thing we can do. So Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy is a, uh, the final book of what we call the Pentateuch, or the books of Moses, that Moses uh, wrote the bulk of. And it's the final farewell of Moses. Moses at this point is 120 years old. The, the nation of Israel has been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. They're finally now uh, next to the River Jordan, ready to cross over and conquer the land under the leadership of Joshua, Moses' successor, because Moses has been told by God he's not going to enter the land and said he's going to die. So he's about to pass away, and these are his final words as he challenges a new generation of Israelites as they're heading into the land. And one of the most important group of people within the nation that he's about to address in this passage is the parents, the mums and dads of Israel. And here's what he says. If you've got your Bible here, I want to read the paragraph uh, right through with you. It's uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to read, just look at verses 4 to 9. Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh the Lord our God, Yahweh is one. Love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them to your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is probably the most foundational verse that a lot of the rest of the Bible's instructions about parenting really rests on. And what I want to do today is I want to look at this in terms of three key bedrocks for impacting the next generation, whether we do that as parents, whether we do that as grandparents or uncle and aunties or youth leaders or kids volunteers or whatever hats we wear. But what I want to do is I want to do these three kind of bedrock principles, but I want to do them in reverse order. I want to kind of reverse my way through this passage. So I want to start at the end and then kind of go backwards to the beginning, just to be a little bit different. So the first uh, key bedrock principle I want us to see in verses 7 to 9, the second half of this passage, is that we are to teach our faith to our kids in the normal rhythms of life. We're to teach our faith to our kids in the normal rhythms of life. There's four key observations I want us to see in this uh, collection of verses, just to make sure we understand it. The first thing we should uh, see or recognise or observe is the audience that this is directed to. And so verse 7 says, impress them on your children. So obviously the audience here is parents. Moses is primarily speaking in this section of Deuteronomy to mums and dads, although I'm trying to widen it a little bit to the rest of us as well. But this is being directed to mums and dads, and what he's commanding us to do is to teach our faith to our kids. Now this is being given uh, in the nation of Israel at a time that is very patriarchal, but what's interesting is when you go through the Old Testament, um, that this command is actually being given to both mothers and fathers. 
Um, Israel was quite different to the other nations, and it saw both mums and dads as having key roles in the training of their kids. So, for example, you jump over to the book of Proverbs, uh, where the writer here, Solomon, says, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. Now, that doesn't mean that a father instructs and a mother teaches and somehow they're different. This is poetry in Hebrew, which uses parallels. So those two lines basically are saying the same thing. It's not trying to draw some distinction between what a father teaches and a mother teaches. It's, it's both. It's saying, kids... Listen to what your father and your mother have said because both of them have a role in the training of children. So again, Proverbs 6, My son, keep your father's command. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them around your neck, fasten your heart, fasten them around your neck. Uh, When you walk, they'll guide you. When you sleep, they'll watch over you. When you are awake, they will speak to you. In other words, listen to the guidance of your parents. All right, because what they instruct you as they instruct you in God's word is key. Make sure they're deep in your heart and they instruct you through every course of life. That's basically the essence of that. If you're a teenager, by the way, I'd encourage you to print that verse out and stick it on your wall. What a great life verse to live by. In fact, you, that, what a beautiful Mother's Day gift today for her to walk into your room tonight and see that on your wall. Then I'll make sure I'll put no, no, yeah, okay. All right, I'll shut up. Anyway, the point is that as parents, we are the ones who are commanded to teach our kids our faith. Parents are the primary spiritual educators of our kids. Now I'm going to say something now that's incredibly important to me. Mel Palmer rocks. She is an awesome kids pastor. We are very blessed. But she is not the primary spiritual educator of your children. (laughs) Pardon? Did I hear something? (laughs) The church is not the primary educator of your children. It is not our job as a local church to be the main people who are teaching your kids the word of God. Whether that's in Botany Kids, whether that's an altar, whether that's an exchange, wherever. The church is meant to supplement what we do in our own homes as mums and dads. And so if we are hanging back from this and hoping that when we bring them uh, on average attendance these days in most churches in the West, including Auckland, is two Sundays out of four. So if we just hang back and hope that on the two Sundays a month where we bring our kids and send them off to the forest and the jungle in exchange or flip them off on a Friday night to what that, that's going to be it, then we're actually passing on the responsibility that we're not meant to do. Because we, mums and dads, we hold the primary role. We're the audience that Moses is writing to. He does not say, take your kids down the road to Botany Kids and let Mel teach them. Mel will teach them and she'll do a fantastic creative job. But actually, it's it's us. We're the audience that this is directed to. And it's our responsibility to teach our faith to our kids. So that's the first observation here. The audience that this passage is directed to is to the parents of each child. Second thing I want you to understand is the content that we're meant to teach. It says in verse 7, impress them, talk about them. 
Uh, verse 8, tie them as symbols. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames and gates. What is them? What is it that he's talking about? If you go back to the previous verse, which we'll get to because we're reversing our way through this passage, um, but in the previous verse, verse 6, it says, these commandments that I give you today. What we are meant to teach our kids is the commandments of God, which in Moses' day was the teaching that he was giving them, reiterating the Ten Commandments, reminding them of God's uh, law, uh, fleshing out for them what the commands meant for them as the people of God about to enter the land. For us, we would say, actually now it's the entirety of God's commands. It's the Word of God. And the, the faith and the theology and the good news about Jesus that that um, encompasses. We're to take the good news, we're to take our faith, and that's what we are meant to pass on and teach. It's about sharing our faith, it's about opening up the Word of God, it's about taking everything we believe and passing that on to the next generation. If, you look at, if you've got Deuteronomy 6 open there, have a look at verses 1 and 2. Uh, flick up to the top of your phone there. Verse 1 says, These are the commands, decrees, and laws Yahweh your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land you're crossing the Jordan to possess. Why? So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear Yahweh your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you so that you may enjoy long life. So it's about passing on our faith. It's about passing on a love for God's word and passing on ultimately the need to trust in him. Psalm 119 uh, puts this this way. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you, David writes, with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That uh, final verse, actually, verse 11, is very special to me. Um, I... I'm very blessed to come from a legacy of faith on both sides of my family. And I told you about my grandma Frida on dad's side. Uh, verse 11 of Psalm 119 is what my maternal grandparents wrote in the very first Bible I received as a kid. Uh, they wrote in the front of that those, those words. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And ultimately that's what we're trying to help our kids to understand. We want our kids to grow up to embrace this faith. And that's true whether they're little preschoolers, that's true whether they're primary age, that's true whether they're teenagers. We still have a responsibility. It looks different as they grow, but we still have a responsibility as mums and dads to pass on our faith. That's the content of what we're teaching. So the audience is parents, the content is our faith um, encompassed in the word of God. Third observation is the time frame. When are we to do that? And that's where this becomes really key, I think, this whole verse. Verse 7 says, impress them, these commands, on your children. That means, by the way, it's actually a word in the original Hebrew that means repeat and repeat and repeat. Everything about the faith, repeat, repeat, repeat these commands. Impress them by repetition on your children. How? Talk about them. When you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Now there's a good number of scholars and commentators and pastors who take verse 7 especially and go, okay, so there's four things, four times Moses says. Um, in fact, I wrote down the comments from one author. He said it's, uh, he, Moses talks about meal time and travel time or drive time in our world. 
and bedtime and morning time and actually develop a whole kind of method of, of how you can use those four key events in your day uh, to teach your kids. It's actually quite helpful ideas, but I don't think that's what Moses was actually meaning. I don't think Moses here is trying to zero in on four key moments. You know, meal times is a great time to chain your teenager to the table. And, and impress on them the word of God. I don't think that's what Moses is meaning, as much as saying all of life. I think these four things, uh, when you sit down and when you get up and walk down the road and when you go to bed and when you get up in the morning, he's using opposites to create the sense of right through the day, no matter what your activity, whatever you're doing at that time. Talk to your kids. Share your faith. Impress the word of God on them. Help them understand what it means to follow and love God. Now that doesn't, of course, mean every single conversation has to be about spiritual truths. All right? That just wouldn't work in our family, uh, in our home. We have to talk about all-black selections, and we have to talk about the current status of the English Premier Football League, and we have to talk about some other really significant and important things like that. Um, like movies and the state of Fortnite on PlayStation. Those things are key conversations in our home. And I don't have to feel a pressure to direct each of those conversations towards faith in Jesus. But what it is trying to help us see is that we are to grab moments through all of life to teach our kids. Now, sometimes that can be a formal kind of arrangement. There may be uh, times in your family that you have some kind of family devotions. I have to confess today that we have been more on the poor end of the spectrum of family devotions. Our problem in, in our home is that neither Rochelle and I like routine. And so trying to establish any kind of routine is a challenge for us. And so we've had seasons where we've done really cool, creative, um, <clears throat> regular times in, in God's Word or done things as family. And we've had longer seasons where that hasn't worked quite so well for us. You may be more of a routine family, and God bless you. If you are, I would actually encourage you to build into the routines and rhythms of your family times together in God's word, because I think it's outstanding. Um, but we, we were. But what we've tried to do, we tried to do some things as, they, as our kids were younger, our boys were younger. We used to do a, a, a weekly family night for a few years where we could feel like we could do a, a weekly rhythm. We could handle that. And so we try and do that. My favourite memory is getting our little boys, I think they would have been, I'm looking at Harrison at the back, I think they would have been about 8 and 10 and 6 maybe, and I remember the three boys in our lounge all with one of my sweatshirts on each, and we blew balloons up, and they stuffed my sweatshirt full of balloons to look incredibly muscular because we were talking about the story of Samson. And that's my memory, Harrison. I don't know if you remember that. But we tried to do these family nights over a few years with our kids. Um, but what I've found, as they've got older, but also as we've come to realise we're not routine people and this doesn't quite work for us, we've tried to make just conversations about God a normal part of the rhythms of our life. And so even today, there's just different moments through the different rhythms of life with either together as we're having a meal or separately with one of the boys. We just engage in these amazing conversations. 
And I think that's part of uh, our boys now being older, kind of teenage and young adults versus little kids. But trying to just make our faith part of what we normally talk about has been absolutely key. I actually think Mel has given you a gift for this. If you have kids in the forest or the jungle or exchange... Um, Because what happens now, if you've got primary age kids or intermediate kids, you should be getting a weekly email from us with a sheet that's called Pass It On. And the idea is we used to do this kind of thing in the past where we would teach something out in the kids program or exchange and they'd come home if the kids remembered to bring it home, uh, a sheet of paper kind of explaining what they'd studied and that you could talk about with them. What I like about the Pass It On sheet we're doing now is that A, we email it straight to you so you actually get it, which is helpful. Um, But secondly, it's not telling you what we've just taught your kids this past Sunday. It's telling you what we're going to teach our kids next Sunday. So it's an invitation for you as the parents to be the first ones that talk about this topic. It's, It's really highlighting the fact that You're the primary spiritual educator of your kids. And what we do at church is support and supplement what you're doing at home. So it's inviting you to sit down with your kids and look at this passage that's coming up next Sunday and talk about that and answer some of the questions they give you and so that when your child then comes to the forest or the jungle or into exchange, um, what they're doing is they're looking at a passage they've already discussed at home with you. I think it's a really cool idea. And it gives you as parents an opportunity uh, to sit and talk with your, uh, your kids. So the audience of this passage is parents. The content is God's word and his commands. The time frame is through all of life. And then final observation on this part of this about teaching our faith to our kids in the normal rhythms of life is what we need to understand is the context of this. The reason why this is so important. And the reason why is what Paul, um, Paul, what Moses was saying up in verses 1 and 2. They're about to enter the land of Canaan. They're about to go in. Moses is going to die. Joshua is going to take over the leadership. They're about to head into the land that God has promised them that is inhabited by Canaanites who worship a plethora of gods and goddesses and have a despicable religion uh, faith. And God uh, wants... Uh, Moses to impress on the people, you need to pass on your faith to your kids so that they don't get caught up and so that you don't get caught up in the idolatry that happens by the current inhabitants of the land. It's incredibly important that you pass on your faith, Moses is saying, so that your kids don't succumb to the culture that they're going into. And that is still totally true today. Uh, So Deuteronomy 6, just slightly further down here, verses uh, uh, 13 and 14. Fear Yahweh your God. Serve him only. Take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. That's why this is so key for Moses. And he wants the people to understand as they head into the land of promise, it's imperative that they teach their kids their faith in the normal rhythms of life. Teach them when you're out walking. Teach them through the day. Teach them by putting things up on your doorposts and frames and all this kind of thing. Pass on your faith. Make it a key part of what parenting is all about. Now, as we reverse our way through, 
I go backwards through this text, this idea of teaching is actually built on top of the other two bedrocks that I want us to see in these next, uh, the first three verses. Because the idea that we are to teach our faith to our kids is built on a bedrock that comes in the previous two verses, verses 5 and 6. And it's the idea that we are to not only teach our faith to our kids, but we are to model our faith to our kids. Verse 5 turns around and says to mums and dads, because that's the audience for this paragraph, love Yahweh your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. Now that may be a familiar phrase or verse to you, because that's a verse that Jesus will pick up hundreds of years later in uh, Matthew and Mark's Gospels. When an expert of the law comes to test Jesus and says, what's the greatest commandment? Take the whole Old Testament, Jesus. What's the most important thing in there? Jesus comes to this passage and this verse. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. He says that is the first and greatest commandment. Actually, Jesus is change the words slightly so I don't think we're meant to be hung up about what exactly these different components of our lives are, what is heart and soul and strength and mind. What he's trying to do is take our whole life and, he's, and, and what Moses is saying, what Jesus is saying is that we're to love God with everything we've got. And we're not to do that because if we don't do that, we'll get in trouble. In the context of Deuteronomy, the people of Israel were to love God with everything they had because God had already redeemed them and saved them from slavery. Jesus says to, to his followers, love the Lord your God with everything you've got because I'm about to go and give my life for you. This is not a way to earn God's love. It's not that we have to fully obey God so that we can earn salvation or earn his love. We love God with everything we've got in a response to the amazing grace that he's poured out into our lives. And we're to love him and pursue him because of what he has done for us and because of who he is. And this is what Moses asks of mums and dads not only that we would teach and impress his commands onto our kids but before we do that that we ourselves would love God with everything we have because it's incredibly important that we don't just teach our kids that we actually model what this looks like for our kids Modeling is a huge principle of scripture. Being an example to others of what we're teaching is massive. Paul would write this to one of the churches he planted. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Not just his teaching, but his very life and example as well. Great author on this uh, called Reggie Joyner writes this about Deuteronomy 6. Moses is implying that before I can ask who my children are becoming, I have to examine who I am becoming. That is profoundly important. And that's true of us as parents. We can't seek to impress a faith on our kids. We can't call our kids to love God and obey him with everything they've got if that's not the, the expression of our lives. If we're not living for, for God's glory ourselves, it's very hard for us to then call our kids to do that. 
And the challenge is not to go, well, my life is only at about a 60% commitment level, so let me drop my teaching down to that level as well. The challenge from Moses is for us to raise our game and pursue God with everything we've got, to love him. uh, Moses will say then in verse 6, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. So before we impress the commands, before we impress the word of God onto our kids, we're to impress the word of God into our own hearts and lives first so that we model this to them as we teach verbally what's going on. Before I ask who my children are becoming, I've got to examine who I am becoming. I was thinking about this this week and it made me think of Timothy in the New Testament. Timothy was Paul's associate in ministry. And in the second letter to him, Paul reminded Timothy about his legacy, this faith that lived in his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice and was passed on by those two godly women into Timothy's life. But then I remembered a phrase that Paul had used in his first letter to Timothy. Look at this. There we go. As for you, Timothy... You continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul is encouraging Timothy to continue on with what he knows and and has learned and is convinced of which is the good news of Jesus found in the Scriptures. But look at that phrase I highlighted in yellow. What you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. Who did he learn it from? According to Second Timothy, he learned it from grandma and mum. And the reason he became convinced of the truth of the gospel was because of the example of his mother and grandmother. That's what that phrase in yellow was saying. That's the power of modelling. Timothy ended up doing what he did with his life because his mother and his grandmother not only taught him the faith, because he learned it, but they modelled for him that faith so that he became convinced this was true, not only because of their words, but also their example. And that's what Moses is going for here as he addresses the people of Israel. As you enter into the land, teach it, but also model it. Now, I love this comment. Uh, Ted Tripp is an author. It's written a beautiful book called Shepherding a Child's Heart that talks about parenting being much more about uh, the heart and nurturing a heart towards God than anything else. But he writes, Your children see the power of a life of faith as they see you living it. And then he adds a very important caveat. You do not need to be perfect. Because I know that, you know... Some of you I know are perfect parents, but some sitting next to you probably aren't. All right? Now, the reality is none of us are. And when I talk about teaching our faith to our kids, but also modelling that, we all instinctively, don't we, go, oh, boy, now I'm in trouble. If it was just me telling them about what they should do, that's fine. Modelling a vibrant faith in Jesus, that's actually really tough. Because better than anyone, you know your own failures, don't you? You know your flaws, you know the weak spots, you know where the cracks are in your faith and in your relationship with God. And the idea, the call here to model this faith to your kids immediately makes us look in the mirror and gulp. 
And I love what Ted Tripp here says. You don't need to be perfect. You just need to be people of integrity who are living life in the rich, robust truth of the word of God. Our kids don't need perfect role models. In fact, if you're a perfect role model, that will be incredibly discouraging for them because your kids are sinners. So actually what sinful kids need to see is sinful parents who are grateful for the grace of God and in response to that grace of God are trying to live life in pursuit of him as best as they can in a fallen world as a fallen woman or a fallen man. So we're to teach our faith, Moses says. Pass it on. But we're not only to teach it with our lips, we're to model that faith by loving God. And then as we reverse to the very beginning of this passage, we come to the final bedrock that both teaching and modelling sits on. It's verse 4. And it's one of the most important verses theologically for the Jewish faith. It's called the Shema. And at the heart of the Shema is a theological statement that we are to believe. Because what we teach our kids ultimately rests on what we model to our kids, and what we model to our kids ultimately rests on what we believe. Do we believe what Moses says in verse 4? Verse 4 reads, Hear, O Israel. The Hebrew word hear sounds like what they now call the Shema. And this statement is pronounced twice a day by Jewish people, even in our world today. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh, the Lord, our God, Yahweh is one. In the original text, there's actually only four words. Yahweh, Elohim, or God, that's a title, Yahweh, one. Yahweh, God, Yahweh, one. So there's no verbs, there's no is. So commentators and Bible translators have to work out where should an is go. Does the is go between the first and second words or the second and third words or the third and fourth words or between those two and these two? And that's why if you've got, uh, got your Bible there, you may notice a stack load of footnotes. This is the way the NIV does it. The NIV translates verse 4, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. Or down to the footnote, or, Yahweh our God is one Yahweh. Or, Yahweh is our God, Yahweh is one. Or, Yahweh is our God, Yahweh alone. Because they don't know exactly where was the is meant to go. And so it can mean all of those things. And so, depending on which way you translate it, it can be aiming at a number of things about God. It could be aiming at God's unity, that God is only one God. Or it could be aiming at God's integrity, that all of God's attributes work together so that he is one perfect unity. Or it could be going at God's exclusivity, that he alone is God. And I tend to think, I mean, all of those are true, and I think the verse actually is robust enough to take all of those meanings at the same time, but I think it's the last one that it's going after. In, in the NIV, it's the final suggestion in the footnote. Yahweh, our God, Yahweh alone. And I think what Moses is going after in the Shema is that God is our God alone. There is no other God. There is no one like him. He is the one true God. 
Back earlier in Deuteronomy, he's already made this point a couple of times. You were showing these things so that you might know that Yahweh is God, besides him there is no other. Acknowledge and take to heart this day that Yahweh is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. This has become a key point, and I think this is what this statement, the Shema, is driving at, that God is the one true God. There is no other God. There is no other person in which we find our life and meaning and purpose and love that we're searching for. He's the one true God. But what Moses does is he makes this statement the bedrock on which the rest of these commands sit. So we are to teach our faith to our kids, but that rests on us modelling that faith to our kids. And modelling this faith to our kids rests on us really believing that that is true. That besides God, there is no one else. Because Israel was about to enter a land where there were so many other gods and so many other idols they could pursue, so many other things that they could make core to their lives, that Moses had to remind them, this is the one true God. It is in him that we find our life. The rest of the idols are rubbish. And this is incredibly important for us. Because we may think there are no other idols, that we don't bow down to idols today, that idolatry is not a problem in our world, and it is. It's a massive temptation for you and I, even today. Theologian Os Guinness wrote these words a number of years ago. Anyone or anything that lays claim to our heart's confidence, attention, and loyalty can grow into a point of reliance apart from God and eventually become a full-blown substitute for God. In other words, anything else in life that we focus on and look to for meaning or purpose that we give our time and attention to, that we focus in on, apart from God, can eventually take the place of God. That's what idolatry means. Idolatry is when a good thing in life becomes something ultimate for us that we find our identity in or our purpose in or our meaning in. As parents, that can be our kids. We may not even realise that our children have become our idol. They can become our career. That we'll sacrifice anything we need to to make our career work. That can become our school grades. That can become our, our pleasure, what we want to pursue and make, that makes us feel good. That can be money or security. That can be friendships. That can be love and romance. We can take any of the good gifts that God has given us, and if we make that the ultimate thing that our life is about, that's idolatry. And it's just as big a temptation for us today as it ever was in the day of Moses. And what Moses is reminding us, whether we're a mum and dad or whether we're a grandparent or whether we're an uncle and auntie or whether we're a, a teenage volunteer and botany kids, it doesn't matter. That as we teach kids to love and pursue God, that teaching has to be built on the model that we present in our lives. And the model that we present them in our lives has got to lie on this belief that life, true life, is found in God and God alone. Love this comment from, Osgin, uh, from sorry, Reggie Joyner as we finish. It really doesn't matter what our kids know if they don't know what really matters. It'll be heartbreaking 
if your children enjoy the benefits and prosperity of a better lifestyle, live in a land flowing with milk and honey, become experientially rich, and never really know God. In other words, we can take them to a million soccer practices. We can make sure they learn five different instruments. We can make sure they've got play dates coming out of their ears. We can make sure we're driving them to get the greatest NCEA results in the world. We can be a taxi service to fuel their social life because we want them to be socially well-rounded. We can do all of those things and there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Unless those things take the place of knowing God. Because what's most important in life, what really matters, is loving Yahweh our God with all our heart and all our soul and all our strength. It doesn't really matter what our kids know if they don't know what really matters. See, What Moses was driving at is that it is our job to teach and pass on our faith to our kids. Mal will support it, but it's our job. And it's our job not only to teach that to our kids, but to model that to our kids. To show them what it means in life to be passionate followers of God. doesn't mean we do that perfectly. It doesn't mean we pretend we've got it all together. But it does mean that we, we pursue God and make him the heart and soul of our lives, that we refuse to bow down to other idols and allow good things to crowd out the one who is most important and paramount, which is God. And as we do that, as we model and teach a loving, wholehearted commitment to the one true God, we're doing what Moses has called us to do, which is to pass on our faith to our kids. My grandma, Frida, was not an amazing woman, She didn't leave an incredible uh, legacy behind. She certainly didn't leave a lot of money. But she did this. She taught and she modelled a loving commitment to the one true God. And there's a sense in which she did leave an outstanding legacy. Because I don't stand on the stage alone. Standing behind me is a legacy that's been passed on to me. Standing behind me is freedom. May I live my life half as well as her to the standard of the legacy she has left. I want to pause and pray as we finish our service. But I want to give you a moment to do that first. Now, time's up. But I just want to give you 30 seconds. As a mum or a dad, an uncle or an auntie, a grandparent, a volunteer in Botany Kids, a teacher, whatever hats you wear, I simply want to invite you to bow and just come back to God again with this in mind. And then I'll pray for us as we're done.
Father, I want to say thank you for this day. Thank you for this day where one time in a busy year we just actually stop and celebrate and acknowledge mums. I want to thank you for every mother and grandmother in our church family, whether they are here this morning or not. We're so incredibly grateful for the, the roles that these women have and have played in our lives. We want to say thank you for mothers and grandmothers who are no longer with us, but whose legacy uh, continues to live out in the way they've impacted one generation after another. And as we stand in that generational line, God, we pray that we would be found faithful to that too. Lord, we just ask that as we sit under this word from Moses, it reminds us to teach our faith and model our faith based on this bedrock belief that you alone are God. We acknowledge we don't always do this well. Neither the teaching nor the modelling nor even that belief. But we pray you'd help us. We pray you'd help us seize teachable moments. Whether it's out in Botany Kids, whether it's home, whether it's driving to football. Lord, you help us to teach and pass on our faith. More importantly, would you help us to make this core to us so that we're modelling that faith? And even more than that, God, would you challenge the idolatry of our hearts? Help us to tear down anything that takes the place of you so that we can pursue you with everything we've got and pass that on to the kids we get to influence. So we commit ourselves to you today. And we thank you for our mums. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, that is our service today. Thank you for being with us. We are about to bring out a beautiful morning tea. Uh, 